Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited that you are here. My name is Amanda Joy Loveland, and I am your host for this podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. This is for sure a passion project and something that's very close to my heart and something I never thought I would be doing. We are sharing our stories of why we left religion, what we've learned through it, and how we moved through it with as much ease and grace as possible. This is a place of community and gathering and is not a place for bashing. So I am excited to welcome you to the conversation and welcome you to my show. Are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. Are you ready for this? Well, I am so excited to welcome you to my podcast. And I'm sitting here with Becky. What is your last name that you? Adams. Adams. That's what I thought. But I'm like, wait a minute. I need to get better about this. My last interview, I did the same thing. I'm like, what do you go by? Because, you know, on like social media, you have different last names. So I'm so thrilled that you are here. And you have quite a fascinating story as far as Mormonism and your background and your family and your lineage. And although I'm first going to introduce how you and I, you and I met. Yeah, yeah. So you and I met through a mutual friend mm-hmm. that we were getting together and going to a con- concert. It was up at Deer Valley. Who were we yeah. seeing? It was Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Rainy. It was so crazy rainy. weather. And you and I first met and instantly... I can't remember what I said to you, but I'm like, you're depleted. Or yeah, you're like, you need to get grounded. And I was like, oh, that's right. You're out of even know what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. And I don't do that very often. So that was funny. And so we just instantly connected because there was just a, mm-hmm. it's almost like a soul energetic. Like here's, here's my sister. Yeah. And then we end up doing, being in the medicine wheel together. I know. Well, we were introduced because um, I feel like they thought that we'd get along and. Oh yeah. And we speak the same language. That's and- right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. She did. She's like, oh, you're going to love my friend Becky. Yeah. yeah. That's been, how long ago has that been now? Oh, I don't know. Three years, maybe? Probably three years. Two years, three years? Three years, because it's well before COVID. Yeah. I just remember talking to you about shamanism, and you yeah. were like, hey, I know something about that. A little bit. Yeah. Just a little. <laughs> or a lot of it. Anyway, and it was, yeah, we've become, become pretty good friends mm-hmm. since then. So yeah, I'm so excited you're here. So I know some of your story, but I don't know all of your story. You were born and raised Mormon, but you weren't, were you the traditional Mormon? No, no. I mean, I would love to have thought that I was, and I tried (laughs) to be the little Mormon girl. I went to church. Um, I was, my um, ward family, they were amazing. But my dad, I think he was about 45 years old. He decided that he was going to um, uh, collect extra wives. So <laughs> I like how you word that. Going to collect extra which wives. Is, which is funny. I mean, so my dad was a polygamist and he had five wives. And I grew up with these wives and they were, um, we called them our aunts. Mm. And they were so sweet. Just, you know, we, they're, all of them had different personalities, but I was very, um, fond of them and just having a bunch of moms around, mm-hmm. but my dad was, you know, he was, he raised his first family in the LDS church and then, um, and that was in California and then they packed up and moved to Utah and he, yeah, he married my, my mom was his third wife. And my mom was married before she married my dad and she had four children and he had four children before my mom. Hmm. And then the two of them had six kids together. So there's a total of 14 children. Wow. Do you, are you close with all 14? Mm, No, I mean, it, it, it's, it's different. I mean, I feel like I'm closer to my sisters. We Mm -hmm. do a lot of things together. Um, recently becoming closer to a few of my brothers, just as, uh, we're all transitioning in life and I have brothers who are getting divorced and different things coming up and, um, just the field that I work in, you know, I feel like they're kind of drawn to me and they come up and need help and support. And, but yes and no, I'm not close to all of them. Well, and I, gonna say because I only have three siblings and Mm -hmm. it's yes and no I think with anybody that's why I was curious with such a large family it'd be interesting and that was the other thing that was really interesting after you and I met we connected on social media you're like how do you know Mm -hmm. so-and-so which is your brother which is my was my let's see what he's married to my husband's sister sister." Mm -hmm. so 
I'm like, that's crazy. We're family separated kind of, yeah. you know, in weird I ways. Know. We and just had, there was no choice. We were going to be friends. Right. And here we are. <laughs> and now here we are talking about Mormonism. <laughs> Mormonism. I know. Isn't that so crazy? It's so crazy. So you were, so you were raised Mormon, but not really Mormon. It was kind of like a branch off of Mormonism. Yeah. Then. I mean, I think my dad really wanted me, he wanted all of us to be raised in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, his best friend lived on our street and we'd go to church with them every Sunday. And this was after they were excommunicated and found out that he had multiple wives and went to seminary. I, he had one rule. We could not take the missionary discussions or get baptized when we lived at home, which was like a, you know, okay, let's hurry and get married. Yeah. And so I was married to my husband and then took um, temple prep classes. Well, actually he baptized me mm-hmm. and then we took temple prep classes and then got sealed when I was about eight months pregnant with my first child. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So then you practiced Mormon Mormonism mm-hmm. for how long? <sighs> Up until I would say it was 2018. No, 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 no. Not 2018. 2018 is when I left the church. Um, I would say I was probably practicing until about 2016. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that? Did you enjoy being Mormon and raising your family in the church? It was interesting. Um, I always wanted to fit in. It was like, I just was so sick of being like that, that child, that polygamous child. And so it was just like, oh, I'm fitting in with the Mormons. Yeah. Well, when you're in Utah and that's Mm -hmm. the majority of the people here, Mormon. Yeah. And I, you know, I taught a lot of um, Sunday school Mm. with the youth and primary and Mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, it was interesting because I knew a different history about the church leaders. And so when we would talk about like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, we're not talking about their wives. I just was really confused about it. And because I was raised in a more open way, um, I remember my ex-husband at one point he had said to me, you did, did you know that Joseph Smith had multiple wives? And I just looked at him with this blank stare. Like you did not. Right. How did you not, how do you not know this? And so then it was, then I had this realization that like we were just raised differently. And so it was just more normal for me and not as normal for him. So when you were being raised in this, spinoff essentially Mm -hmm. of Mormonism, then it was a lot more open as far as I would imagine he was, your dad was creating environments to teach why polygamy was okay Mm -hmm. and why that was acceptable. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people will say, you know, did your dad just really love women or whatever? And, and I remember my dad, um, always having a dishwasher breaking down or lawns that needed to be mowed because all the wives had their own homes. Mm, so and, much work. Yeah. And it was, there was just a lot to take care of Yeah, and cr- buying Christmas presents was really sad to watch him do. And we would try and help him, uh, help him as much as we could. And there was always a wife that would end up crying and Uh-oh. having their feelings hurt. And so that was tricky. And I can't imagine how hard that was. Yeah, that would be a lot of work for your dad to have to take care of all these wives. So it wasn't necessarily that he loved women. No, I... Gosh, I remember my mom talking, not talking my dad into it, but, you know, introducing the idea of him bringing on his, his fifth wife and she was really good friends with my mom. And I remember my dad just being like, I can't do anymore. (laughs) This like, this is too much. And so, yeah, it's interesting. And then just, I do feel like that's helped, um, like finding the gift in that has been that I'm able to just see love in different ways mm-hmm. and my capacity to like hold love has yeah. been interesting. Mm-hmm. That where, is beautiful. Yeah. Where I see other people maybe close off. Mm-hmm. So, are you still close? Are you close with your dad? So my dad passed away about 11 years ago. That's right. Yeah. He was 83 when he died. So he was older. Yeah. And it was time. He died of congestive heart failure. He um, had a heart transplant that lasted for a while. He was part of a study. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. So, what were, were there certain events for you that kind of helped with your catal- you know, catalyzing you to, I'm not choosing into this religion? You said you left officially in 2018, but 2016 you stopped going. Yeah. Um, I had actually gone through a whole, so I was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it was in 2011, 2012. 
yeah, 2012, I was diagnosed with colon cancer and I was in remission for about a year and a half. And during that time, um, I think during that time was when my husband and I started having more of like a faith crisis and my cancer had reoccurred and right. Which had to be so hard. That was a year and a half later. Uh, it was about a year and a half later. I just went in for a routine scan and And they called me. And when your doctor calls you, that's not Not the greatest. And I just remember him telling me that your cancer's back and Mm. it's terminal and nobody will operate on you. And you have, we've seen people like you live for about six months. And I was in a puddle of tears, I think wailing on the floor. Um, But I think the place where I was at in my life at that time was I knew I wasn't happy and I knew I wasn't living my truth. And, and now where I'm at now, I can look back and I can say, Oh, I was trying to fit in and I wasn't speaking my truth and I was living somebody else's truth. Mm -hmm. Um, before my cancer had reoccurred or I'd gotten that call, I had, um, met a woman and we had become really, really good friends and we were supporting each other in a way, um, emotionally mm-hmm. and things ended up transpiring into physical. And that's where I guess out of my protectiveness for this friend and how much I cared about her, it was really difficult watching, you know, I, it's weird because I can't, I can look at myself too, like, well, Becky, they treated you the same way and the, all of these things, like through ward council and stuff. And the way that they were handling it with her was really hard for me to watch. Hmm. And I was able to, um, during that process, I was able to understand that, you know, I can be with a man and I can be with a woman. And um, during that time, the church was coming out with just different ways with being, you know, with with gays Mm -hmm. and my children weren't handling it well. And I was watching them not handling it well. And, um, and I do remember once my, I had ended up going through a divorce, all of that had happened. I was still battling cancer during the divorce, which I think is just crazy town at this time, but it felt right at the time. And Mm -hmm. uh, my ex and I felt like it was the right thing to do. And once I got back out into like dating, um, my kids, I told them I'm going to date women. I'm Mm going to date men. And they looked at me and they were like, you know how the church feels about you. And that was hard to have. And so I really just looked at it for a minute and I pulled up my laptop and went to quitmormon.org and I and I actually um, messaged my, I texted my bishop. My bishop at the time was really, really cool mm. from the ward. You know, I say I didn't like how they handled things, but I think that there's um, protocol that they do. Mm-hmm. And they were just following the protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, the bishop at the time was actually pretty cool for the most part. And I remember calling him and saying, this is what I'm doing. Please do not transfer my records to my new location. Yeah. I don't want this following me around. And then my children just slowly started, some of them just slowly started doing it themselves. And, um, I, yeah, it's just been an interesting thing. It sounds like that was a very difficult, painful, traumatic few years. That was a very, um, short version of no kidding what, what that was. And it was very painful, and I want to say at the time it was super destructive, but it wasn't. I'm I'm so thankful for just even that path and what I experienced during that. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity that I had to grow from it mm-hmm. has been incredible. Mm-hmm. So well, you were unwinding, unwinding so many things all at once. Yeah. So that's why it's like, I know you say you, in the destructive, you don't want to use that word, but in some world, I mean, your world was uprooted mm-hmm. in every facet. Oh, in every facet. I mean, even just deconstructing that family system that mm-hmm. we had that was built in this. I mean, we were, we were active, but we weren't super active. And it was just the pressures of living what other people wanted us to be living. Now you've shared this with me before. And again, I know even what you just shared, it's 
a very shortened version mm-hmm. of it. But in again, in a shortened version, I mean, you healed yourself from cancer, from this death sentence. What would you say was the ultimate, this is what, this is why? Gosh, for me, and I, and this is personal to me. And I hate when I first started realizing this, I felt like I didn't want to offend people, mm-hmm. which again, the fixer in me don't want to, <laughs> I'm worried I'm going to offend somebody. Um, I had to make those shifts. Like I really knew I, at that moment in that time in my life, my cancer's back and I'm looking at chemotherapy and surgery again. If I choose, you know, we, I ended up finding a surgeon who would operate on me and he told me what the downsides were going to be for, you know, going on this new journey. And it was going to be a lot of surgeries and a lot of chemo. And I was not excited about that. And I wanted, I remember sitting there with my doctor and I was almost like I was trying to barter with him. Hey, all I want is to see a child get married. I want to turn 40. I want to hold a grandbaby and I want my youngest to be 14 years old. So she remembers me. Why 14? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me like, gosh, like this poor woman. And I feel really sad and we've seen miracles and, you know, we'll see what happens. But what I realized at that time was I needed to make shifts. This wasn't just about taking medications and going through the surgeries. Um, I really needed to start shifting in life. Um, At the time, it felt more like it was a, if I'm going to die, I'm not dying like this. Yeah. If I'm going to, I'm not going to die in this, you know, the way I was feeling. I wasn't Mm -hmm. feeling, I wasn't, I wasn't being true to who I was. I was literally living this LDS lifestyle that I just wanted to fit into when I was a child. Mm -hmm. You just wanted to be accepted, right? Right. Well, and then you went against the norm in all ways. I mean, that those are a lot of hard things to really step into and go, no, but this is me. Mm-hmm. And you feel like by doing that, that's really what ultimately gave you back your health? Oh, yeah. As I started to shift um, through all of that and I started to jump into like more of the um, self-healing and energetics, um, my cancer was staying at bay. I was getting clear scans. I mean, this is after a lot of surgeries and a lot of chemo. Mm-hmm. So you're doing both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and my ex and I, we were actually really good about waiting until we had like a window. I think they gave us like a six month window to, um, to just be free of treatments and stuff like that mm-hmm. and to live my life for a minute. And we were like, okay, divorce, like fist pump. Let's hurry and like, <laughs> let's hurry and make this happen. We took the kids to Hawaii for a vacation. And then we came home and I just said, when you're ready, you can file. I'll let you file when you're ready. And it took him a minute and then he did it. And I remember him, I remember looking at him, telling him that I promised him that one day he was going to find somebody who was going to make him feel like a million bucks. And, you know, he and I have known each other. I mean, we started dating when we were 14. So it's like, we were just like this young love. And Mm -hmm. and it's been interesting because as we um, both move through this, like dating thing, he and I, and we're really good friends. And um, he's repeated those words back to me a couple of times. Oh, I promise you. I love seeing how, I mean, you guys are great friends. Yeah. I see them in a lot of your family pictures and you guys hanging out. I think it's so beautiful that you still have that relationship with him because yeah. not a lot of, and what a testament to him mm-hmm. really, because mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of in that cir- circumstance wouldn't yeah. still choose to love that per you know, love yeah. you through and it. It's, and all of that too. I mean, it's been, this has been something that's been really hard for me that I've had to look at myself and, you know, it's easy to say like a relationship didn't work out because of the other person yeah. and, um, to really step back and look at those pieces of myself. And mm-hmm. instead of looking at it as a bad part of me, you know, just like as a growth opportunity. Yeah. And, um, if, we were married for 22 years. Wow. We have five amazing children. Mm. We're going to be grandparents know, in January. So like, can you believe this? Yeah. Um, hitting and, all my goals. And you're past 40. Mm-hmm. I'm past 40. I'm 44. Yeah. Um, my two older children are married. I was able to officiate my daughter's wedding. Yeah. And my youngest is 11 and I'm thriving and yeah, my health are. is great. I've mm-hmm. been in remission for seven years now. So it's amazing. Yeah. So talking a little bit then about shifting to talking about God for yes. a minute. 
because, you know, with what you were sharing with the things that you're experiencing within the church and how they were Mm -hmm. viewing that and the comments that your children were saying, that was actually um, odd. I say oddly for me because I didn't have anybody in my circle or in my network that I knew that was choosing to be gay or lesbian, Mm -hmm. but you know, love is love and supporting people and, and honoring their choices. Um, I remember when the church came out and I think it was in 20, I think it was in 2018 when they came out with that oops statement Mm -hmm. about if you have someone that's gay or lesbian in your family, you have to denounce them. Mm -hmm. And I was already kind of not 20. I don't, I had already left Mormonism, but I still had my records in. Yeah. And when that happened, I was like, oh, hell no, I'm out. Cause that was just such a like, who do you think you are? And God is not conditional in his love. So why on earth? Yeah. Would this church be te- would be doing that? It's interesting because I kind of lived a different version of that as a polygamous child. Um, the process I had to go through to become a member of the church was pretty ridiculous. In what my- do you mean you had to live? Just to, I don't know that I understood quite. Like being able to, like almost feeling like I had to denounce my parents. Oh, you know, yeah, that's and, true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, which is actually interesting because it wasn't that's not actually what had happened because I had to go to the church office buildings and I had to meet with one of the uh, higher ups. Mm -hmm. And within 24 hours of meeting with him, I had to get baptized. And it was really really weird. And the questions that he asked me were not to denounce my parents, um, which were, which is interesting Mm -hmm. what happened in that meeting. And it was um, a lot of just more um, asking to love my parents and to, um, so that was, that was comforting, but I had kind of gone, it was almost like I'd gone through that and I just wanted to be accepted. Mm -hmm. And so when they were, you know, saying all this stuff about, you know, gays at the time, it was just a normal thing for me. Like, Oh, of of course they don't accept this part of me or they are accept. And, and I have to, I'm doing something wrong or I have to be something different. Yeah. So then shifting to God and that version of God, the Heavenly Father version of God, and that ex- experience, because I know we've recently yeah. talked about how God has shifted. When you did step out of religion and you stepped out of this and were leaning into those parts of you that you felt like were really you and the healer aspect and moving through all of that, how did did God change for you? Did he die? Did you go through a death with leaving religion? Or was it just all encompassed because you were going through so many things? Oh, this is so interesting because this is bringing up uncomfortable feelings for me. And it's based off of what God was to me at the time. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to offend people. um, But I had gone through this and this is how you knew me. This is how we met where God is my highest self. Mm -hmm. And I have a connection to that's what it is for me. Mm -hmm. And I do think that God will, will speak to us and however we'll hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went through this whole deconstruction of what um, the LDS God was to me, mm-hmm. which was this man in the sky um, in a white robe. And I was going to have to meet my maker one day. And I was really afraid and he could see everything that I was doing and I was being judged and I was wrong and, you know, mm-hmm. all the things thinking I'm going to go to hell at some point. Right. Well, totally dissolving that to this place of, no, I, I am my highest self, you know, mm-hmm. that's my connection. We're the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So when, and so then it was hard to use, I went through this offensive, I was offended when people would talk about God mm-hmm. and I, then I trained myself to be like, it's okay. That's just how they see it. And I would just make that quick connection in my head, my highest self. That's what I did. I couldn't even read books that talked about God, but then I got to a point to where I'd replace God with source. Mm -hmm. Source was a word I was comfortable with. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah. Source. That was another one. And I, this is why it's uncomfortable because, um, I love that part of me that was that because it's brought me to where I am, you know, this, Mm -hmm. that person that was just connected to source. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I'm a shaman and Uh I had decided I hadn't, I hadn't worked with medicine for, you know, personally for a couple years. And now when we're talking about medicine, you're talking about psilocybin. Psilocybin. Mm -hmm. Yes. With psilocybin. I mean, I've done, 
you know, ayahuasca, I've done psilocybin, mm-hmm. um, beautiful, beautiful teachers, yeah. amazing teachers. And I had also, um, I had just gone through, this is just recent. I had just gone through, um, the, an ending of a relationship mm-hmm. that was pretty devastating and yeah. heartbreaking and talk about like hitting rock bottom. It's like, you're at the bottom of like, you're below the rocks. And you feel um, like this relationship was lower than where you were with cancer and all of that. I want to say yes, but I think it's where at the time, um, it felt different because yeah. cancer put me on a different journey and also cancer. Like I can go and get hooked up to chemo, be put under and go in through surgery and, yeah. um, you know, medical marijuana does wonders for you <laughs> yeah, at the time, put you to sleep. And, um, this is something that had to be felt and had to be lived. And yeah. I had to really just turn the mirror towards myself and just mm-hmm. look at myself instead of pointing the finger and mm-hmm. saying, it's this, 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 and it's them, them, them. I really just took that opportunity to look at myself. And I had remembered going through the medicine wheel and everybody talking about, well, it was you and Amanda talking about this Michelle Wilding girl. Mm. And all of a sudden her face just popped up and I was like, I'm going, I think I messaged you. I need her contact. You sent it to me. I messaged her. I don't know what it is that you do, but I think I need an appointment with you. Mm -hmm. And she said, that's great. I'm only working with people who are ready to shift. And I'm like, that's me. Like all hands in the air. (laughs) When can you see me? Yes. And so I went in, she got me in within a couple days and I, I'm not totally sure what it is that Michelle does. She is an NLP practitioner as well as hypnotherapy practitioner. Yeah. So, In fact, yeah. she'll be teaching people how to do NLP here soon. That's yes. what she's doing right now. Yeah. Training. She's off of training right now. And she's actually a shaman too. She's done yeah. energetic training. Yeah. So she gets it. Uh-huh. And she understands like where, where I'm dancing and what mm-hmm. I'm doing. And, but I really realized like there was something that was off to the right of me and it felt like this like sphere that I couldn't decode. And I was so frustrated. I was like, Mm -hmm. I cannot decode this thing and I don't know what it is. And I was like, this was the beginning of my dark night of the soul is what I'm realizing. And I, (laughs) the minute you picked up the phone to call Michelle, well, now that I look back, I'm like, Oh, that was the beginning. And had I known, I probably wouldn't have entered. (laughs) Yes, you would have. I would still would have. I I know you too well. So I went in to that, um, first session with her and I, I don't really fully remember what we did, Mm -hmm. but there's something I'm able, you know, shamans were great map makers Mm -hmm. and that's what we do. We find the healed map and Mm -hmm. that healed map starts with us through the medicine wheel. You know, we're creating this healed map and super frustrated that I couldn't decode what was in front of me. And all of a sudden she's taking me back to these woundings that I'm able to kind of see in other people like, Oh, that's you at 12. Oh, that's you at 15. Oh, now you're four. And, and I'm just kind of holding this information in and Mm -hmm. gathering it. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I recognize that because my 12 year old recognized their 12 year old. My four year old recognized their four year old. My 15 year old was saying hi to their 15 year old. Mm -hmm. And so she was taking me back to these places and, Um, and I thought I was going to have to relive childhood trauma. And so I was really hesitant, but also I was like, yes, hell yes, I am ready to shift and change. And here I am. And what do I need to do? Because I am so tired of feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And I also know relationship, um, being in a partnership, a relationship, um, a symbiotic relationship is something that I'm really, really wanting in this lifetime. Mm Mm-hmm. And I could go off and just be a monk, right? And be alone. And I think I've done that in past lives. And I think I've perfected that. And I don't need to do that anymore. Mm. But she um, was taking me through this NLP therapy and to these different places. And and it was swift. The healing was so swift. And, and was it as painful as you thought it would be? No, it was not. I mean, I was crying and I love crying. And my clients, you know, I tell them, release, cry. Mm-hmm. This is what we want, you know. And it's so beautiful when they do that because I know what happens when that's happening. So I'm crying and releasing. And then I'm like, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, she had told me she wanted me to listen to this book, um, Living from a Place of Surrender. Mm-hmm. And I started listening to it and 
it's great. I mean, it's, you got to take it in waves. You can't mm-hmm. just like listen to it, but I live up in the canyons and I drive down Parley's a lot. And so I have a lot of time. And so I'm listening to this book and, and then after about two months of seeing Michelle and going through just these different, um, things, um, I started noticing the way I was shifting in relationships and, um, just especially the relationship with my children Hmm. and how, and it, and how the, the shifting of that has been amazing. The most beautiful, the way I'm able to show up for my children right now has been something I've wanted forever. And I never thought I was capable of doing this. I mean, I was definitely acting like my dad, Hmm. a lot like my dad in ways and not really realizing that. Mm Mm-hmm. So we could go into the whole dad thing forever, but (laughs) that's all. I feel like that's been addressed and looked at. So I had decided that it was time to go through a guided journey. And before I had done this, I had just released all of this control, all these ways that control was showing up in my life. Because for me, and I think you had said this to me one time, like, it sounds like control is safety. And then I'm in with Michelle and it's like, well, control is safety for you. And and it is for most people. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I mean, I think I we think we we think by controlling it's keeping us safe mm-hmm. and it's comical, especially when you start listening to Michael Singer and yes. how he laughs about it. Yeah, and, and we don't so really cute. have control. And gosh, yes, I remember seeing this energetic worker years ago and she was like trying to help me release control. And I was like, What are you even talking about? And it was like <laughs> I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see it the way that Yeah. So I listened to that Michael Singer book and and I've been releasing control, releasing control, releasing control. And so just before this journey totally surrendering Mm -hmm. to control and just surrender. Yeah. And I remember the person guiding was talking a lot about Jesus and um, how cool Jesus is. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I can sit here. And I think Jesus is cool too. Like, that's great. But it was a lot. It felt like a lot. And my ears are ringing. And I, um, all of a sudden, she's talking about God. And I was like, I've, I feel really uncomfortable right now. (laughs) And I don't know if I can sit here. And so I get up and I go to the bathroom and I just like amping myself up. You just need to go sit back down, go lay down and it's okay. Everything's okay. You can do this release control. Mm -hmm. So I go and I lay down and then all of a sudden I'm just I feel like I'm in like a grave Mm -hmm. and my children and Jesus are now digging me out and I don't want to come out and I don't know why I feel like I'm in trouble. I just feel like I'm in trouble. And then I just say, um, I start, I started to leave my body at this point. And I mean, long story short, spirits come to me on the left side. Spirits are there. Hey, Becky, let's go play. Let's go have fun. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to leave my body. I'm about two feet away from my body. And then I stop and I turn around and I'm like, I think Becky's crying and and I need to go back to Becky for a minute. Come back into my body and I feel my face and I'm like, Becky's crying. And so then I tell the spirits, hey, I need to stay with Becky. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but I'm going to stay right here with Becky for as long as I need to. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I think I thought it was going to be like a couple hours. And now I realize I'm staying with Becky until Becky's body chooses to pass on. Mm -hmm. And then I will leave Becky. And at that moment, I realized how many, how frequently I've been leaving my body. And that has been in so many different ways cancer being a big one, mm-hmm. leaving and um, abandoning myself mm-hmm. and not staying with myself. So I'm in my body and they're still trying to dig me out. And I'm like, I don't want to come out. And they're like, come out. It's okay. Come out. And I don't want to come out. And so I say to um, the person guiding, um, am I in trouble? I feel like I'm in trouble and I, I'm in this hole and I don't want to come out. And she says, well, where I'm at, you're not in trouble. Why don't you try and see what happens? And, you know, yeah. Okay. So I come up out of this grave and this most beautiful, and I don't, if we want to call him he, we can call him he, whatever, whatever it's, whatever speaks to you. It was the most beautiful 
thing I've ever experienced. And it was God. And it was right there to the right of me, that sphere that I could not decode. Hmm. And man, that's when I was like, whoa, my life has changed forever. My life will never, ever, ever be the same. And um, I had to get really humble in that moment because it was, um, all of a sudden it was, what are people going to think of me? And what have I been saying? And then I had this huge um, realization that that I'm co-creating with God. And maybe somebody taught me something different. And maybe that's how I would have heard it. That was the only way that God could speak to me was through the lens of this church Mm -hmm. or through the lens of this, you know, this woman that I fell in love with Mm -hmm. or this lens of, you know, my child hurting. And now all of a sudden we're like dying, like I'm dying. Mm -hmm. I have zero fear of dying because I've gone through this process. Right. And then I realized, you know, about seven years ago, I decided I was going to live. And inside of that, I'm, I'm here co-creating with God and my spirit is inside of this body. Becky, is the body mm-hmm. and then I've got my spirit and then there's me when we're together and we're creating. And so it's interesting that my friends are making fun of me as I'm trying to have this um, new God aspect in my life because I'm referring to myself in the third person a lot. Like, no, Becky wants this and, <laughs> and I'm in a yoga class and I start to leave my body and I'm like, no, 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 come back. We're, we're staying we're staying right here in my body. We're not going to leave. It's safe here. It's safe. And um, and I create safety. Mm-hmm. And ever since, it's so crazy because now I am talking to God constantly. And um, and I think Michelle is loves that I have this relationship with God now because she's like, oh, sweet. We can talk. <laughs> we can both talk about God, you know, uh-huh. and we can. So I'll message her sometimes like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And what does God think about that? Oh, yeah, that's right. I have God in my life and he's here. And also when God appeared, it was more like, hey, what's up? It wasn't like, oh, I'm so glad you found me. Mm-hmm. It was he's always been here. Mm-hmm. God has always been with me. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool to um, now backtrack and look into the past and see the ways that he's shown up yeah. and has been there for me. Um, and also I really just accepted like I'm ready to shift. And I'm ready for something different. And what's been working isn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of put a lot of my life um, on hold ever since the first of the year where I've just kind of been in like this place of, I don't know what's happening and I don't know what to say or to do. And like, if you look at my social media, things have just been still. Mm -hmm. And I, I came out of that um, journey feeling like, gosh, I'm going to be this person or no, I'm not going to be this person that preaches God (laughs) to people. And it's funny because that's, I, I don't, that's what I'm doing in the strangest way, you know, also speaking to people in the way that they can hear it. But what was the very most important thing to me was to have that conversation with my children and my ex and to be like, cause I felt like a disruptor enough of, I didn't want to take God away from anybody, what that was for them. And uh, my 11 year old, she's just the sweetest thing ever. And I just, you know, talked to her, you know, about God and what is God to you? And she just started saying, like, I, I welcome this conversation. And um, she started with the, like, it's my highest self. And no, Katie, like, that's what what God is was for me. And yeah. really, truly, because let me tell you, something shifted, things changed. And now it's just whatever it is for her. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun. Like, she's driving and in my car and she looks out the window and she's like seeing God in the birds Mm -hmm. and the mountains and the trees and the sky. And I just, um, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been crazy also. How much it's changed and shifted. And now you're like, wait a minute, God's in my life. Yeah. It's really, he's here. He's God is very much in my life. Um, 
I also like to, I would, I never really got mad at God. And last night I was mad at God and I was so mad at God. And I was like, I can't do this podcast tomorrow about God. Like, I'm really upset with him. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, in a way of like, can't things just be easy? Can't something just show up easy? And, you know, we talked about the victim triangle or the drama triangle Mm -hmm. and, and then having a session today um, with Michelle and her really like Becky, let me remind you of all the easy things that have happened, you know, that she's just been able to witness for me in the past four months. Mm -hmm. And, and then, oh yeah, that's right. And I asked for this Mm -hmm. and, um, things have been ever since God's been, I've been working with God, things have been transitioning quickly, almost like drinking from a fire hose. Like <laughs> so I sometimes too much. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you can choose to slow down a little bit. And then it's like, no, 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 I don't want to slow down. I want to keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, your story keeps reminding me and is a beautiful reflection to me and my experience too, of how oftentimes we do think the world is happening to us and not for us. And you know, that phrase that it is happening for us and really that wherever we are sitting with how we are, whatever our interstate is, is really how the world shows up and meets us. Mm -hmm. And here's a beautiful example of what you're sharing with God in that sense of that's exactly God is, has been meeting you where you were, even when you were identifying it as source. Mm -hmm. And now it's shifted into this, this thing that feels more all encompassing and going direct to that um, creator that is such a very personal relationship. And I've noticed, and I think I shared with you before the podcast that there has been a pattern of everyone that I've interviewed that God goes from this um, shallow it feels shallow in connection with God in the Mormon version. And I don't know if this is the same in all religions or if it's just a Mormon version of the Heavenly Father and the Godhead type version to all of a sudden a much more expansive, um, unconditional love, co-creative type of relationship that, yeah, you would be pissed off because how many times do we have those conversations with ourselves where we get really upset? At least I do. When I had to look at those pieces within me of why I'm attracting certain things or why something just triggered me. Okay. Where does that alive within me? It is some of the most painful conversations to have within myself. And yet, of course, that's what we would be doing with God because we're God seeds or whatever you want to, we're, we're co-creating. We're Mm -hmm. part of that expression, that experience. Um, anyway, so as you're sharing your story, that's just, you know, it's kind of a beautiful example of this is what happens. It's not happening. You know, it's not, it's all happening for us. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting as you say that it, my relationship with God is super personal and you know, me, like I'm a shaman. I sold my house in the valley and I moved up to the mountains and I work with the land and it's all new and I'm planting trees and are they going to survive? Yes, because we're all working together. We're all going to get along up on my land. And I started a little farm. And what I did see my relationship with God is that we are Mm co-creating. We are planting our seed, Mm -hmm. whether it's a plant, a child, a grandchild. And what he what is wanted from from me from me personally is the shedding mm-hmm. and the messing up mm-hmm. and the crying and the figuring it out and it's so interesting now like something will come up and i i look at it i cry i let it out i don't hold it in i think i held a lot of stuff in my body mm-hmm. and for me that caused a lot of hard cancer in yeah. my body a lot of stuff i had to really like Doctors had to remove it. Mm-hmm. And I, it got really uncomfortable because I had to then look at who I was, how I was showing up in the world, how I was showing up as a mom, a partner, a sister, a friend, mm-hmm. an ex, all the ways that I was showing up. And instead of pointing the finger at them, I had to just, it just pointed right back at me. And what it, what a great, gift to be able Mm -hmm. to say, oh, okay. It was really uncomfortable and it was hard, but then also 
having this relationship with God and understanding that this is what I'm here. This is what I'm, this is why I'm here. We're doing this. Yeah. I know, you know, I had Michelle on the podcast a few episodes ago and one of the things that, um, one of the conversations that her and I had, because I always had that I belief that, well, I am a God. Mm-hmm. And there's there's truth in that. And her and I had a conversation and she's like, okay, great. Why don't you change that salt shaker into a pillar of salt? Mm-hmm. Can you do that? I was like, well, I can't do that. Well, then you're not a God. You know, we're God's in training. But everything that you're sharing, there's truth too, because especially as shamans, we hold a lot of paradox, mm-hmm. a lot of truths that don't make sense yeah. that kind of go against each other. Yeah. One of the other things that I feel like is truth is the more we come so aware of who we are and how we're working and operating in the world, and we are such co-creators, that's exactly what God is. Like we Mm -hmm. sit here and try and point the finger at God, but God doesn't do that. God sits there and holds himself accountable for all things. He doesn't because his emotions are his, her, she, you know, whatever we want to call God because his emotions don't feel like doing something one day, he doesn't show up. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. Like, and yet we all attain to be that, right? We all want to be this aspect of God. And so then we would have to hold ourselves accountable. We would get to say, holy shit, how did I not, you know, show up for myself today? Yeah. How did I actually, I chose in to all of these things that I've experienced. I chose into religion. I chose into these different experiences. And that is really challenging for most people to look at because it's easier for us to sit in the victim place. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And also just having that awareness of, wow, God chose me, chose my soul to come here and to work with Becky and to be in this body and, just what a gift. Yeah. Like what a gift. And, you know, the one thing that, you know, the church talks about is that we chose our families Mm -hmm. and then through shamanism, you know, we chose our families for our highest essential growth Mm -hmm. and looking and that's so real and having that be something that shows up constantly. Um, having this understanding has helped me have a little bit more, um, you know, I have sisters who are very active members in the church and we're doing kind of the same thing, like energetic work and different things. And I used to have like an an issue with the church in a way where I was angry. And now that I have just my understanding for myself, the, I just don't feel angry anymore. I just Mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, that was, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That was interesting that I went through that and it brought me here and everything I have gone through has brought me to right where I'm at right now. Right. Right. Sitting across from you Mm -hmm. and, you know, just honoring that, Mm -hmm. honoring that path that brought me here. When there's a a softness in it, I would imagine for yourself, for others. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I'd be curious about with um, the family that is still choosing into Mormonism. Have you been able to come to a place to where you have a lot more softness with how you interact? And is it, is it mutually received? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, how is that relationship? Yeah. It's interesting because once I moved up to the mountains, um, I had this big thing show up where it was like, we're not going to sit and I'm not going to have some patriarch say the prayer in my home, like all, like it was a shift and being able to tell people who were LDS, like this is my home. Right. And this is what we're going to do in my home, which we sang a lot of longtime son, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I just had a birthday party for my brother-in-law the other day. And, you know, it's his birthday. Do you want to, do you want to bless the food? What do you want to do? And also having no offense to that. Yeah. Being neutral. Yeah. It's yes, it's definitely, but it also took it. It was from both sides, just having respect from both sides. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, that's your way. And this is my way. Yeah. And we're really all like trying to do the same thing for the most part. Right. Like we're all trying to do good and help people. Mm-hmm. Um, I refer a lot of people to, others that don't speak my language that don't, you know, it's like, well, I know somebody who works in the energetics that is LDS. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think you might work better with them. Yeah. Might be better resonant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Cause I, you know, as I did this podcast, it's also, and those we leave behind because that's one of the hardest things for most people is the family relationships and how to navigate that. And it does take some time. I would imagine it took you some time to get to where you're at now, where you can sit in that mutual respect for each other. I'm yeah. curious if there's anything, um, 
Was it because it wasn't always like that after you left, was it? No, I mean, I spent a lot of time being upset with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom said one time, and my mom's just a doll, like, she's the sweetest thing ever. Yeah, so it's hard because, like, our, I think all parents mess up their children, right? Like, that's just we're all doing our best, is, right? And I chose my parents and I love them. And I remember my mom saying, Well, you guys had a great childhood and everything was fine. And I just took a deep breath and I was like, it wasn't okay. It wasn't fine. And I wanted to be able to say more than anything that it was okay. Yeah. And I had to go through that and I had to say it wasn't okay and it wasn't fine to get to the place now where I'm like, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. My childhood was perfect. And there was trauma. There was trauma. That's the kicker. It's like we can we can have things that happen in our life and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spent a lot of time um, with Michelle in hypnotherapy yelling at my dad and kicking him and screaming and then doing um, shamanic sessions where I'm kicking and screaming at my dad. And mm-hmm. and finally my dad showing up the last time and saying, this isn't me anymore. Now this one's your mom's, you know, and, and <laughs> like just really going through and rewriting that and, yeah. you know, having a different, being able to get out what I, what I was not getting out when I was a child yeah, or when I was even, you know, even into my twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. um, really just, um, and now that I can look back on it, I can see how my mom just wanted to fit in with things. My mom tried really hard to help us fit in. Mm-hmm. And if that meant being a Mormon, then that meant being a Mormon. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, what would you, with the things that you've gone through, the things that you've experienced, what are some, most of the people that are listening to this are in some sort of a transition phase, whether there's, they're maybe thinking about stepping out, they have stepped out, um, but they're looking for tools, for resources to feel like, hey, okay, maybe I can start applying this in my life. What would you recommend? What would you suggest that was something that was really helpful for you as far as getting to a place of where you're at now, where you can sit in that neutrality and mutual respect and have love for yourself and have this new relationship with God? Is there anything that you would suggest or recommend? Gosh, it's interesting because we want to have a support group and people who, you know, you Mm -hmm. can lean on and talk to, um, getting clear with myself and knowing that only I have my answers yeah, and um, nobody else. Like I was such a reacher. I was always like somebody else tell me um, I need to know what you think I should do. Mm -hmm. And then they tell me what to do and then it goes South and then I'm mad at them. And you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm keeping myself out of the equation. So I can't be mad at myself (laughs) Um, getting quiet. Um, I, I guess a lot of people when they think quiet meditation, but mine would be get out in nature, whatever that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Um, a yoga flow meditation, um, a, a shamanic drumming journey, like something. Yeah. And asking yourself your own questions, mm-hmm. you know, um, my daughter, she's now 11, but when she wanted to get baptized when she was eight, um, she came to me and told me and I, took her through a little drill about right from wrong. And I asked her some, you know, wrong questions and she answered them correctly. And then I talked to her about the Holy ghost and, um, and how she's already got that and how that's what they're giving her when she's baptized. And she's already got that. And I don't want her to be confused by, um, something that's being given to her, but then also being, taken away from her. If you know, something happens, I feel like it's hard because when we're in our depths, when we're like, if I didn't have God with me the last four months or even know that God's been here with me this whole time, I don't know if I could be, I don't know if I could have climbed out of that dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I would have, it would have gotten really bad before it got better. Yeah. And I don't want my children to ever feel that or anybody in my life to ever feel that, to feel like they, um, that they don't have connection to God mm-hmm. or to their own internal guidance system. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, that's, that's a, I think that's important getting in tune with yourself and knowing that you have your answers. I don't have your answers, Amanda. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, working with my clients now has been a lot of bringing them into their bodies, helping them stay in their body 
and asking questions, you know, asking themselves these questions Mm -hmm. and work with God. Mm -hmm. You're co-creating with God and it's the most beautiful thing ever. And when you start to really practice it and work with it, you feel like there's a feeling that inside of you that's just, it's almost, I can't explain it. And you probably have the feeling yourself of what that is. It's almost like a light. I don't know Mm -hmm. how else to, yeah, you can't, when we experience things on the soul level, it's very difficult to put it into words. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope that answers your question. What would I recommend? Um, What would you have told your, the version of Becky that was leaving religion and going through those deaths? It's going to be okay. That it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. I would have held her hands and I would have said, you signed up for this and it's going to be okay. Yeah. And it's been interesting. I mean, coming to this new God relationship with God, um, it's a lot of things leading up to it have been pretty devastating in my life and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Is there anything else you feel like you want to share before we end? Um, we're all just humans. We're, and we chose to be a human. So be a human. Mm-hmm. Go out and play. Have fun. Make mistakes. Yeah. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. You know, being so hard on myself and wanting to show up as being perfect mm-hmm. is what has caught or being a fixer. Yeah. A fixer has caused me the most heartache in my life. And that's all part of control. And so like releasing that and just going out and having fun. Like mm-hmm. I play in the dirt all the time. Yeah. I'm always out in the dirt, playing with it. rocks in the dirt. I love it. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to connect with you to, you know, have you assist them in their journey of trans, you know, transforming and transmuting some of the things that they're moving through, because you are a practitioner, you do mm-hmm. sessions and you offer healing sessions for people. Yeah. What's the best way for them to find you? Um, just my Instagram right now. Okay. It's just at Rebecca, R-A-B-E-C-C-A. And yeah, and then there's a link on there that you can Beautiful. schedule appointments or you can just DM me. Okay, perfect. I'll put yeah. I'll put the hat or your your Instagram in the comments is or the not the comments, but the show notes as well. So perfect. I love that you're doing this. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think it's really needed and also giving me a platform to talk about God on. I know it's it's somewhat therapeutic, right? To kind yeah. of have this conversation to revisit revisit some of those things and it's always interesting when ever, I feel like any time you're going to go, like you said last night, you had a thing pop and you're mm-hmm. like, I don't even know if I can go and sit and do this podcast. And of course it popped last mm-hmm. night. Yeah. So it's always fascinating because here I'm wanting to create a platform for others to find places of healing and tools and resources. And yet this is just as much needed for me, mm-hmm. like the layers of healing that I continue to have and the God aspect that I'm continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when I was telling you about the God, my new God experience. And I remember crying. Like yeah. it just was really, it's very near and dear and beautiful. And of course I want to like shout it to mm-hmm. everyone, but I also know I had my own journey back to God and yeah. all of that had to crumble in order for me to see what God is mm-hmm. and God is amazing. And yeah. here I am preaching God. <laughs> well, it's like that life, death, life cycle, right? Yes. And that's what all that, the dark night of the soul is the deprogramming and unwinding all of the old programs. The minute we're born, we step mm-hmm. into a world that is full of programs based off of, you know, the world, the environment that we're in with our parents and just everything. We're constantly being programmed. And then when we choose out of it, you have to unwind. Yeah. And also just sitting here and being so grateful for everybody that's been on my journey instead of looking at it like, I can't believe that happened. Mm -hmm. Just being able to be like, wow. What an amazing teacher. Yes. Teachers and just space holders for me and people who have allowed me to just really mess up and then other people who have held me accountable for things and releasing control. Like there's a lot of people that have, I said to my children last year in the North, you know, you saw me, I was losing my mind when I was shedding my identities and texting my children. What if I don't have all the answers? What if I don't have all the answers? And one of my daughters was like, you you always have the answer. And my (laughs) daughter-in-law will figure it out. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, yes. And I don't have to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just creating a lot of my own misery. That's what we all do. I know. Again, it just comes back to ourselves. That's mm -hmm. the, this is the kicker with everything in life. It always comes back to the self mm -hmm. every single time. Yeah. And boundaries. <laughs> and boundaries. And boundaries. <laughs> We're just going to throw that out yeah, there. Yeah, having great boundaries. Yeah. 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 That will be a whole other podcast. I know. I want to like come back and do this in like six months because it's it. going to be so different. Yeah. And then we'll, I'll listen to this it. and be like. Eek. And then we'll talk about boundaries. Yeah. And we'll talk about, yeah, how that has, yeah, developed. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. Sending you all so much love. Thank you for joining us today. Man, each time I have one of these interviews and these stories that are shared, they are always so beautiful and so touching. I hope that something resonated with you. Maybe it was an answer to something that you are seeking. You can find me on my website at amandajoyloveland.com for more information or more conversation there or on social media at amanda.joy.loveland. Have such a beautiful day and remember you are not alone. <laughs>